Somebody asked me the other day, where did we find her? And I have to tell you, God found her. We we're very, very grateful. Her husband's a doctoral student at Stanford, and I'm hoping it takes him a long time to get his degree so they can't go <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> we're talking about fear this morning, and I probably don't need to tell you this is a scary world, as we've said several times today. China rattling its missiles at Taiwan. This is all in one week. Uh, human bombs killing innocent people. Uh, this terrible tragedy in Scotland that I can't even hardly identify with. 16 children killed, 28 shot, a teacher killed. And now a young a teenager abducted up just north of us. And we want to ask, what kind of a world is this? And how do you survive in this kind of a world without panic? So there's worldwide fears. Then there's personal fears. An elder was talking about her experience of sitting here in church and singing, it is well with my soul. And she said that day it was not well with my soul. Uh, she was facing surgery the next day and prayer wasn't working for her, her faith wasn't working, she was scared to death. And then she said something interesting. On, shortly before going into surgery, this verse came to mind. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought, and it never fails to bear fruit. And suddenly she realized that God hadn't left her. She had just forgot that he was there, and that as a Christian, she could draw from the streams of his presence. And even in the drought of her fear of facing surgery or whatever, she found a life-sustaining force that calmed her fears and gave her the ability to go and confront what had to be confronted that day because she heard the voice, I'm here. Don't be afraid. At times, the virus of fear is going to infect even the most courageous, the strongest, the most mature of Christians. And maybe that's why you're here today and why we were led to preach on this subject. I want to ask you, what causes fear to take control of your soul? The list is so long. A sound in an empty house, being alone. Somebody asked me to preach on loneliness last night because her greatest fear is being alone since her husband was taken. Shyness around people, fear regarding your children's future, that's legitimate in today's world. Fear of sickness, physical disability, death, when you hear all this talk about cancer and all these terrible diseases striking people close to you. Fear of becoming a victim of a crime which can happen in the nicest of neighborhoods. Fear for the future of our country. We're hearing lots about that in a political year. Or fear for the future of your job. And many of you are wondering in this downsizing time what's going to happen to you. So the list is, is almost as varied as our names about what causes fear. In our text, David reveals some resources he used to cope with and conquer his fear. If you look at the beginning of that psalm, it kind of it tells that he was with Abimelech and he was faking being insane. And this refers to a time when David was running from Saul. And King Saul was trying to kill him because he realized he was going to be the next king, so he had spent months running and he was exhausted. Fear was not a, a stranger to David. He began his life shepherding sheep and he had to fight off lions and bears and then he battled Goliath and... Now he's battling King Saul. But from his struggles, he has a lot to teach us in terms of wisdom for coping with fear. And that's what we're going to spend a few moments thinking about together today. First, David admitted his fears to God, something rather obvious and, and yet profound. Our text says, I sought the Lord, 
and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Isn't that marvelous when you think about it? What do you do when you're frightened as a Christian? You go to God, and what does God do? He responds. He's personal. He's related. The guy who's run the universe and created it responds to you and your prayers. That's either the greatest myth or the most exciting, marvelous truth we Christians possess. So David tells us the wisest action we believers can take when we're in the grip of fear is to tell God all about what's going on in our hearts. Let him know. He already does, but it's good for us to tell him. What's interesting is some find it difficult, especially in this culture of the peninsula, to admit fear even to God because we associate admitting fear with weakness or a failure of our faith. Christians shouldn't be afraid. And then others since childhood, and this includes me, have been taught to handle difficulties ourselves. My father always told me, be a man, which really meant you just stand on your own two feet and don't lean on anybody because that's a sign of weakness. You don't even lean on God. And some of us still kind of hold to those early childhood teachings. And then there are others here who can't believe that the God who runs the universe could be bothered with our trivial needs. I had a professor in seminary tell me, you don't bother God with all the details. That isn't prayer. You just sit there and sort of praise him and kind of get lost in his magnificence, whatever that means. Jesus taught us that God knows the hair is on our head. He's concerned about everything. That was what was revolutionary about Jesus. He was God in the flesh saying, I care about you. I know you by name. I want you to let me into your life. As we mentioned, David is afraid in our text. Saul had learned that David was going to be the next king, so Saul spent months chasing David all over the wilderness, trying to kill him. And we plug into the story where he is drained, he's at a low point, he's lost all his ability to cope, his faith is faltering, and he's crying out to God in desperation because that's the only place he could go. And he was saying, God, help me. And it was in these last moments before he crashed into despair that God did respond. And he delivered him, he says, from his fears. What's interesting is his troubles were far from over. The fear didn't disappear because God zapped away all the problems. It was that God's presence suddenly took over David's heart and he realized no matter what was going on, it was going to be okay. God was there. It was sort of like the elder in surgery who suddenly rediscovered God was with her and she didn't have to panic. Trouble in the original language means to be all tied up, restricted, limited, inhibited. This is what fear does, and maybe that's what it's doing to you this morning. It's got you all tied up. You're in knots, and it makes your personal world a very scary place. All joy is just being squeezed out because you're paralyzed by what the future might hold. In fact, you're paralyzed from taking any action to help yourself. So how about you? Could you believe that God brought you here to worship today to help you break that bondage to fear, to untie the knots, to break your paralysis? As a believer, you can make the choice to accept God's invitation to cast your fears on him, to give them to him, believing he's there, he cares, and he can do something about what's making you afraid. This word from Isaiah is such a clear promise of God's heart. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. When you pass through the waters, I'm going to be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you're not going to be burned. For I am your God, and since you are precious in my sight, 
And because I love you, do not be afraid, for I'm with you. Now, for your theology lesson, let me ask you, do you really believe that? Do you believe you're precious in God's sight? That he really does love you infinitely more than any person, any parent ever could, and that he could never let anything ultimately happen to you that will destroy his plan for your life. Do you believe that? That's basic to our Christian faith. And when you believe it, there is nothing in this world that can shatter you in terms of paralyzing you with fear. Actually, what more do you need to know than that the God of this universe loves you and is on your team? Nothing's impossible with God. He's never going to leave or forsake you. What more do you need to know? So here's David's formula for coping with fear. He confesses his fears to God. He tells God, not weakness, just God, that's how it is. And then he trusts that God's going to respond, that the living God is alive and he will respond. And then his trust gives him that inner strength, that stillness in his soul that takes away his fear in the midst of the trouble that he's facing. That's what we want you to have today. No matter how turbulent your fears might be right now, God's available to help you. He wants you to know it. And like David, God wants you to experience his presence as follows, as a refuge, as a strength, as a shield, as a rock, as a high tower, a shade in a dry and weary land. These are all metaphors taken mainly from the military of David's time of, what, of how you're sustained when the enemy's attacking and when you don't have any place to go. God wants to be your resource. So the first step in coping with uncontrollable fear is to give them to God, believing he's interested, and then rest in him. I want to tell you today, faith works. Jesus is alive. Easter is the greatest news in the world. This table is the greatest news in the world. You came here to rediscover that God's available for you in Jesus Christ. So stop trying to handle things yourself you were never meant to. Stop trying to be in control. And stop believing that to admit fear is weakness. All of us as Christians are frightened at certain times, and it doesn't mean our faith is failing. Admission of weakness, for example, is really our greatest source of strength. You had to admit weakness to become a Christian because you had to say, I need a Savior. To need a Savior means you're weak and you can't save yourself. That's just basic Christianity. A second step in coping with fear is to appropriate, then, God's closeness for our times of fear by talking to him in prayer. Our text promises the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. That's a beautiful promise if you think about it. Close refers to the incredible truth that God is available for you as a believer in times of your greatest panic. You're never alone. Because that's true, I want to tell you, do what David did. Talk to him this morning if you're in the grips of fear. Tell him what's going on. God didn't intend you to cope with overwhelming circumstances all alone. That's what prayer is all about. Prayer is what brings God close to us. He's already there, but it's from our end we make contact and we say, yes, God, you really are personal. You are here. This isn't a myth. But, you know, here's a, a very strange paradox. Using prayer as a resource to cope with our fear, for many of you as believers, is one of the very last steps that we take on our spiritual journey. I don't, I, I, let's put it positively, I think many of the reasons you're afraid today is you've never really experienced the vitality and the power of prayer. God isn't that personal for you. 
In fact, I think many of us derive some kind of perverted satisfaction from worry, from doing it ourselves. Or we continue to limp along, leaning on our own resources until we fall in exhaustion, while God, with arms open, waits for us to lean on him, and we just won't do it. Our pride won't let us lean. Or we just can't get beyond our college skepticism that this whole idea of prayer, talking to a God we can't see, it seems absurd, so we just won't do it. This year, we've been urging everyone to make prayer a greater discipline in our daily lives. Why? Because prayer is the primary means by which we appropriate what Jesus died to bring us, and that is an intimacy with God, a relationship with God. So when fear knocks on the door of my heart, I need to tell you, when the way is dark and I don't know which way to go, like David, I go right to God. I've, I've been forced to do that through my life, as I've told you many times. And God has never let me down. Over and over again, I've experienced his presence, felt his touch calming me when my heart was pounding in panic. Prayer works. In Hebrews, we read, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's God's invitation to you, folks. What would conquer your fears right now, the one you brought in with you to church? One answer might be to find a resource bigger than your fear. Well, David tells us that you and I are being cared for by an awesome, all-powerful, all-knowing, totally, uh, totally accessible God. With God, nothing is impossible. Nothing's out of his control. And once we confess our fears to God, we're told we're going to find the peace of knowing no matter how great a storm is raging, it's going to be okay. That's our answer for you who are in the grips of fear. God knows, God's in control, and it's going to be okay. Even the most terrifying circumstances are never too big, too complicated for God to solve. This is our confidence as Christians, or it's a myth. You have to decide. If you choose it's a myth, you're going to go on limping through life, doing it on your own in a way God never meant it to happen. Last week, we were crossing the Catalina Channel down in Southern California, and we hit a fog bank. I mean a real fog bank, zero visibility. And as we were entering into it, the captain's voice came on and said, you know, I, folks, I want you just to relax. We have two radars on board, and I can see everything that's ahead. And I had a choice to make. I could believe him, or I could look out there, and I couldn't see beyond the bow of the boat. And I could have been sitting there white-knuckled and tense, or I could just sit back and relax and say, I don't understand two radars, but I'll trust him. I'd been out there in other little boats without radar, and when you're in fog, it's scary. But I chose to sit back and relax. And you know, it was incredible. He had to hit a little break in the um, breakwater. Oh, I guess it's about 500 yards between Catalina and the San Pedro breakwater. And with radar, he was able to hit that right on the button. And everything was going great. Except that after we got through the breakwater, all of a sudden, this huge, humongous oil tanker just appeared out of nowhere. I mean, it was huge, and we were tiny. But you know, he had seen that way ahead on radar, and he just easily avoided it, what didn't surprise him a bit, because he knew it was coming. Well, the whole point of the story is that's a parable of life. You might be in a fog of chaos today and of fear, and you can't see ahead, and you don't know what's going on. But the good news from David is God has his own kind of radar, his omniscience, his all-powerful 
uh, ability to look ahead. He knows everything that's coming. Nothing's going to catch him by surprise. And you have a choice to make. You can sit on the bow of your boat, gazing out into that fog with fear, wondering what the next thing's going to appear. And you can just go through life half panicked. Or you can sit back and relax and trust what Jesus said is true. God loves you. God's in control. God knows what's coming. And if you just relax, he's going to be there for you. Nothing will catch him by surprise. What a wonderful resource if we want to choose to accept it. So a question as we enter communion, do you have the confidence of knowing that God's in control of everything that's making you afraid? If you don't, you should have if you're a Christian. Can you trust that God can see what you can't see through the fog of your circumstances? Prayer is acting out the fact that you believe God's in control. So this week, I'm going to invite you to share your fears with a God who cares about you. That's why he brought you to church. And if your personal resources are exhausted, that's probably good, because most of us have to get there before we'll lean on God. Hundreds of times I've claimed those resources offered in this psalm. I do it every week before I come in here. Do you know what a pressure it is? for us to come and lead worship in this place. We're in a highly marketed area here, and entertainment out there is 10 times, 100 times better than anything we can offer you. And we just wonder, are we just as good as our last sale here? And all those things go through our mind. What makes people come to church over other choices? And you know what we've concluded? The only thing we can do to be attractive to you is to exalt Jesus Christ, and through prayer to just say, God, we're your instrument. You be the attractive card. We're not going to market this thing. You've got to do it. And there's a strange peace when we take the responsibility for worship from our shoulders to God's shoulders. And then if you, anything happens to you today, you don't give us the glory, you give God the glory. That's how it works. And it can work in every issue in your life. Prayer is the most marvelous invention God ever gave us. I use it constantly. Remember Jesus taught, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Either Jesus was a lunatic or that's an incredible promise. Nothing will be impossible for you because you serve a God with whom nothing is impossible. We go to communion, and I need to ask you a question. If Jesus died for you, can't you trust him enough for all these lesser things that are making you afraid today? God can't do any more to prove his love for you than he did here by giving his son on the cross. And if that isn't enough, he has nothing else to offer you to help you stop being afraid. You're precious in his sight. He loves you. And I wish for you this week, in the words of the psalm, that you might discover that uh, what I thought was impossible, I've seen my God do. And that that will become your testimony this week as you come out of the fog of your own fear and suddenly see, yes, God's in control. Hallelujah. I want to remind you of the words of Paul the Apostle. He said, I delivered unto you as of first importance what I also received, how the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had broken it, he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. Remember, I'm here. Don't be afraid. And after the same manner also, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink ye all of it. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, as often as you remember that Jesus loved you enough to die for you, you remind yourself that I'm here until I come again. Would you bow in prayer with me? Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you made God personal, that God is trustworthy, and that you proved it through dying for us. And I pray for each individual person today as they participate in this meal, that somehow as they partake of Jesus, 
that also a strange calmness and peace will come upon them, and they'll trust at last that because he's here, we don't have to be afraid. To that end, bless our time together around this table in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you hold the bread and we'll feast together?